0: Welcome everybody to another episode of Always Bev, The Ripple Effect. I am your host, Barb Jordan. Now in today's episode, we're going to take an excerpt from the book, The Gift of Fear, written by Gavin DeBecker. And in other episodes, I've spoken about this book. And if you're into safety, this is the book for you. It's awesome. It really is. And Today's story, we're going to hear about a woman who is extremely vigilant. All of her thoughts, all of her actions, she notices the little things in her environment of ways that she can stay safe. And I challenge you in today's story to listen to the many different ways that she tells the predator no. I want you to identify the different types of body language that her body is telling the predator no. But then I challenge you to listen to the predator and the ways and the words that he uses to manipulate her. He tries to stereotype. He tries to get her to prove him wrong. Oh, he makes her feel good. He acts like we're in this together. He uses charm and he does that to settle her doubt. He provides too much information, which is clearly distracting to her thoughts. And of course he uses those two famous words that reassures everybody that we're okay, I promise. Let's
1: take a listen. He had probably been watching her for a while. We aren't sure but what we do know is that she was not his first victim. That afternoon, in an effort to get all her shopping done in one trip, Kelly had overestimated what she could comfortably carry home. Justifying her decision, as she struggled with the heavy bags, she reminded herself that making two trips would have meant walking around after dark, and she was too careful about her safety for that. As she climbed the few steps to the apartment building door, she saw that it had been left unlatched, again. Her neighbors just don't get it, she thought, and though their of security annoyed her, this time she was glad to be saved the trouble of getting out the key. She closed the door behind her, pushing it until she heard it latch. She is certain she locked it, which means he must have already been inside the corridor next came the four flights of stairs which she wanted to do in one trip near the top of the third landing one of the bags gave way tearing open and dispensing cans of cat food they rolled down the stairs almost playfully as if they were trying to get away from her the can and the lead paused at the second floor landing And Kelly watched as it literally turned the corner, gained some speed, and began its seemingly mindful hop down the next flight of steps and out of sight. "'Got it! I'll bring it up!' someone called out. Kelly didn't like that voice. Right from the start, something just sounded wrong to her. But then this friendly-looking young guy came bounding up the steps, collecting cans along the way. He said, "'Let me give you a hand!' No, no thanks. I've got it. You don't look like you've got it. What floor are you going to? She paused before answering him. The fourth, but I'm okay, really. He wouldn't hear a word of it. And by this point, he had a collection of cans balanced between his chest and one arm. I'm going to the fourth floor too, he said. And I'm late. Not my fault, broken watch. So let's not just stand here. And give me that. He reached out and tugged on one of the heavier bags she was holding. She repeated, No, really, thanks, but no, I've got it. Still holding on to the grocery bag, he said, There's there's such a thing as being too proud, you know. For a moment, Kelly didn't let go of the bag, but then she did. And this seemingly insignificant exchange Between the cordial stranger and the recipient of his courtesy was the signal, to him and to her, that she was willing to trust him. As the bag passed from her control to his, so did she. We better hurry, he said, as he walked up the stairs ahead of Kelly. We've got a hungry cat up there. Even though he seemed to want nothing more at that moment than to be helpful, she was apprehensive about him. And for no good reason, she thought. He was friendly and gentlemanly, and she felt guilty about her suspicion. She didn't want to be the kind of person who distrusts everybody. So they were next approaching the door to her apartment. Did you know a cat can live for three weeks without eating? He asked. I'll tell you how I learned that tidbit. I once forgot that I'd promised to feed a cat while a friend of mine was out of town. Kelly was now standing at the door to her apartment which she just opened. I'll take it from here she said hoping he'd hand her the groceries accept her thanks and be on his way. Instead he said oh no I didn't come this far to let you have another cat food spill. When she still hesitated to let him in her door he laughed understandingly. Hey We can leave the door open like ladies do in old movies. I'll just put this stuff down and I'll go. I promise. She did let him in, but he did not keep his promise. At this point, as she's telling me the story of the rape and the whole three-hour ordeal she suffered, Kelly pauses to weep quietly. She now knows that he killed one of his other victims, stabbed her to death. All the while, since soon after we sat down knee-to-knee in the small garden outside my office, Kelly has been holding both my hands. She is 27 years old. Before the rape, she was a counselor for disturbed children, but she hasn't been back to work in a long while. That friendly-looking young man had caused three hours of suffering in her apartment and at least three months of suffering in her memory. The confidence he scared off was still hiding. The dignity he pierced, still healing. Kelly's about to learn that listening to one small survival signal saved her life, just as failing to follow so many others had put her at risk in the first place. She looks at me through moist but clear eyes and says she wants to understand every strategy he used. She wants me to tell her, What her intuition saw that saved her life. But she will tell me. It was after he'd already held the gun to my head. After he raped me. It was after that. He got up from the bed, got dressed, then closed the window. He glanced at his watch and then started acting like he was in a hurry. I gotta be somewhere. Hey, don't look so scared. I promise I'm not gonna hurt you. Kelly absolutely knew he was lying. She knew he planned to kill her and though it may be hard to imagine it was the first time since the incident began that she felt profound fear. He motioned to her with the gun and said don't you move or do anything. I'm going to the kitchen to get something to drink and then I'll leave. I promise but you stay right where you are. He had little reason to be concerned that Kelly might disobey his instructions because she had been, from the moment she let go of that bag until this moment, completely under his control. You know I won't move, she assured him. But the instant he stepped from the room, Kelly stood up and walked after him, pulling the sheet off the bed with her. I was literally right behind him, like a ghost, and he didn't know I was there. We walked down the hall together. At one point, he stopped and so did I. He was looking at my stereo, which was playing some music, and he reached out and made it louder. When he moved on toward the kitchen, I turned and walked through the living room. Kelly could hear drawers being opened as she walked out her front door, leaving it ajar. She walked directly into the apartment across the hall, which she somehow knew would be unlocked. Holding a finger up to signal her surprised neighbors to be quiet, she locked their door behind her. I knew if I had stayed in my room, he was going to come back from the kitchen and kill me. But I don't know how I was so certain. You've heard me say before that very
0: rarely does violence happen without a warning sign. And for Kelly's intuition to kick in, all it took was an insignificant action Of him shutting the window. At that moment, she became scared. He promised her he was going to the kitchen to get a glass of water and he would leave after that. But as he walked down the hallway, something came over her and she followed him closely behind. She saw him turn the stereo up. And as he went into the kitchen, she could hear him going through the kitchen drawers for a knife, not the kitchen cabinet for a glass of water it was Kelly's intuition that saved her life I want you to know that Kelly actually moves about this world with less fear now than she did prior to this incident it's true she's less afraid now because now when she moves about this world she is committed to listening to her intuition In our next episode, I will be joined by two guests, a retired police lieutenant and a retired Green Beret will join me to discuss active shooting, what the warning signs are and what you should do, if ever, in that hostile environment. I'm your host, Barb Jordan. Thanks for joining me in another episode of Always Bev, The Ripple Effect.